Hello, this is Father Mike Walker of Father Mike's Podcast and Father Mike's Bible Study Podcast, the pastor of St. James Catholic Church in McMinnville, Oregon. If you would like more information about the parish or the podcast, please feel free to email me at frmikewalker at gmail.com. And now, today's podcast. So in the Catholic Church, we have a lot of different feasts. You probably have noticed that through the years. Uh, We've had feasts for many saints, and the reason why we have feasts for particular saints is they are a sign of God's work in the world throughout the ages. And so we celebrate God's work through the saints. Uh, We also have a lot of different feasts that are based in what we call salvation history, and that is how God chose to enter into our world, into our experience, and save us. Uh, So even feasts like Christmas and Easter, for example, uh, these are feasts of salvation history that God sent his son into the world to be born and then to die and rise from the dead. And then we celebrate those moments in the way that God chose to save us. And we also have different feasts that are part of the life of Jesus and often part of the life of Mary, uh, those key moments in their life that are so important. And that's why the Feast of the Holy Trinity is a little different. Uh, You'll notice that this is not a feast of the action of God in the world. Uh, It's not a feast of salvation history. It's a feast of who God is. And uh, that's different from the other feasts that we typically celebrate. Uh, You may wonder, why is it that we have a feast of the Holy Trinity? It's like, well, today is the feast of God. It seems a little odd even. Well... The reason is, though, because if we don't get this right, then that means that we are not going to get anything else right. If we don't get the basics of who we worship correct, then we will be worshiping a false god. And this is something that actually happens. And so, therefore, we want to fully understand the very nature of God before we go to the next step and start talking about those other feasts like the ways that God chose to act in our world and save us. So it was uh, quite a while back. I was a new priest in Corvallis, and I remember this lady coming into my office with a bird, and uh, which is probably why I remember it. Uh, but anyhow, so she came in and she wanted to talk about spirituality. And uh, so, okay, well, let's talk about spirituality. And uh, I asked her what her tradition was or what her background was or what faith she followed. And her response was, you know, well, I don't follow any particular tradition or any particular faith. I'm just kind of spiritual and uh, I don't want to limit myself. And I I found that interesting. And so I asked the follow-up question, uh, well, okay, well, do you believe in God? And she said, well, I, I don't want to limit myself. I want to be open to everything. And I said, well, that's a pretty big question, though, because if you do believe in God, then that means that, that there's a certain way that we can worship him and uh, certain things we can know about him. And if you don't believe in God, it doesn't make much sense to pray or to worship or do anything else. And she said, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And uh, so then I asked another follow-up question. Do you believe in a personal God? And uh, her response was, I don't want to limit myself, you know, because I kind of want to be open to everything because everything's true. I said, well, but if if God is not a personal God, 
then there's no point in praying or talking because he's not going to hear us or respond and we can't hear anything from him if he's not personal, if he's not capable of love and communication. And uh, so she said, well, I I suppose I believe in a personal God, but I don't want to limit myself to these sorts of things. So then I asked another follow-up question. What about Jesus? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Well, I don't know. Well, anyway, we we had a big, long conversation like this where I basically just asked her a bunch of questions. And uh, over time, I think she was maybe feeling a little uncomfortable with it. Uh, But but in her mind at the time, she thought that if she's just open to everything and all things, that somehow that makes her more spiritual. And what I was trying to get across is that if you don't know the very nature of God and who he truly is, it's pretty hard to go deeper with reality. Because, for example, uh, if, if you're praying to a God that doesn't exist, then that doesn't do you much good. But if you want to go deeper in your spiritual life, you have to pray to the true and authentic God who reveals himself to us and draws us into communion and communication with him. Now, I realize that this is a, a somewhat uniquely Christian experience, this idea of the Trinitarian God, uh, that there are other ways that people have understandings of the divine in their life. And I thought it might be worthwhile to talk a little bit about who God isn't so that we can understand a little bit about who God is. So, first of all, there is a system of belief called atheism. And atheism is just rejecting the idea that there is a God. And uh, I think in some regards that, that it made more sense in maybe the late 1800s or the early 1900s, but it, it, it's having a harder time making sense today. Actually, there's a, a book that I just finished reading called The Return of the God Hypothesis. Now, I warn you, it's a big, long thing, and, and it gets so complicated, I can't really fully understand everything he's saying. But the gist of it was that, that a lot of what we consider atheism was based in the scientific worldview that was around in the late 1800s. But the newer discoveries, especially that of the Big Bang and the way that things were created and set in motion and how perfectly everything fits together in this kind of Goldilocks universe, uh, that it's pretty hard to get away from the fact that there needs to be something that supersedes all of that uh, that isn't contingent on being created. Uh, So anyhow, I'll leave that to you. But the, the main thing is there is a system of belief that just rejects the idea of God altogether. But... Uh, for me, that never worked. Like, even when I tried to be rebellious against my faith, uh, I just couldn't... It just seems self-evident that God does exist. And so, uh, with that in mind, uh, there are different ways of people talking about divinity. Uh, another one is what they call pantheism. And that's where God is everything. All right, so that would mean, like, for example, God is the earth and the solar system and God is us, me and you and God is the walls and the trees and the rocks and everything else uh, that everything is God now the problem with that is that still doesn't solve the problem with well how did this all come into existence Uh, but in addition to that I think the, the, the bigger problem for me is that would make me actually greater than than God if God is just a pantheistic God because if everything is God, and God is just some, like, energy source or something like that, that means that God is not capable of love or relationship. He's just kind of in the rocks and everything else, where at least I am capable of thought and capable of relationship and expression and communication. 
Uh, so pantheism, it, it, it doesn't quite work for many reasons. Uh, the other one is what they call animism. Now, animism is what many of the most ancient people used to believe, that there are just these spirits in all things. And there's the spirits in the trees and in the rocks and in the hills. It was very common, for example, in many of the uh, North American, Native American religions uh, in the past, also in, in many of the ancient tribes in Africa and Europe and Asia, that, that this was kind of common among the ancients. Uh, but again, there's, there's the problem with, well, where did those spirits come from? Who created those spirits? There has to be something, if, if you have a multi- multitude of, of all these beings, then you, it makes you wonder, well, how did they all come into being? There has to be a creator or a source of all things. And interestingly enough, the ancient Greek philosophers came to this conclusion themselves. Uh, Plato described it in one way and Aristotle described it in another. And what they noticed is that in their worldview, many people believed in many gods. It was what they called polytheism, uh, that there are these many gods up in the heavens and they are greater than us. Uh, But what the philosophers came to understand is that there couldn't be a multitude of different gods without having a source. There needs to be a single source of creation that all this happened. And Aristotle described that as God, even, you know, 300 years before the time of Jesus. But Aristotle also had a different concept of what this God was. So in his mind, God was the creator of all things, but he was detached from all things. God was so much greater and transcended from all things that he didn't want to bother with the things of creation and he rather would spend his eternity contemplating himself because it would be beneath him to do anything different than that. Now, that makes sense if God is this all-powerful, transcendent God who is unified in his person as well as his divinity, but it doesn't make sense in the concept of a Trinitarian God. All right, so I'm, you're probably thinking, like, I hope he gets to the point. So, <laughs> so here's the difference. In the Christian experience, our concept of God was revealed to us. It's something greater than we could have made up or imagined. Uh, C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, it's just strange enough that it's believable. Because if it's predictable, then we might think that, well, human beings must have made it up. Uh, the other thing C.S. Lewis said is he said that God's very nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is supra-personal. In other words, it's interpersonal in a way that's greater than our experience. But God's very nature is the Father loving in relationship with the Son, the Son in loving relationship to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in loving relationship to the Father. And anyway, this combination of all of the three persons of the Trinity offering themselves over to one another in love and also in relationship is what spills out from that is offering and generosity. Uh, So creation is an extension of God's own love and commitment and sacrificial self-giving of himself. That that creation is is like a byproduct or an extension of God's own loving relationship with himself. So therefore, it makes sense that God would be generous, that he would create, and that he would want to be in relationship with us because he is in relationship with himself. He's not like selfishly looking in on himself, but he's offering himself to all the three persons in the Trinity through that loving relationship 
And therefore, what spills over is creation and human beings and our relationship with God. All right, so if I haven't lost you in all that, the main point is, is that we believe in a personal relational God because of the very nature of the Holy Trinity himself. And so that's something to keep in mind, that we're not talking about mathematical formulas here. We're, we're talking about who God is and why that's something that offers us into relationship with him. Now, you may have heard in the gospel that we just read where Jesus is talking to, himself, talking to his disciples and he says that there is so much more that I want to reveal to you. And, and that's pretty key as well. That, that here Jesus is, he's with his disciples for three years before his death and resurrection. And before he goes to his death, he tells his disciples that there's so much more that he wants to reveal. But they're not ready yet because they haven't experienced his death and resurrection. They haven't received the Holy Spirit. But Jesus wants to reveal even more. He has relationship with his disciples. And the disciples know things about him, obviously. They know that he's a great teacher. They know he's a rabbi. Uh, They understand to a certain degree that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. But they don't fully understand that. Jesus needs to reveal that even more to them in the future. Well, in a similar way, if we want to know who God is, it's not enough for us to say, well, I believe in the Trinity. You know, that's like me looking around and I say, well, you're, you're a man, you're a woman, you know. And you're thinking like, well, yes, that's part of who I am. Uh, but there's a little more, you know, I have a personality and I've got a history and all these different things. Well, the same thing goes with God, that we have to start with the truth. We start with what he's revealed, but then when we open ourselves up to him through our prayer and through our worship in spirit and truth, then all of a sudden we start getting closer and closer to the reality of God in our life. We understand who he is, not just because we know something about him, but we actually know him. And this is that great thing about this relational God that that we can know, that we can worship, that we can offer ourselves to because he has so generously offered himself to us. So as we continue in this feast of the Holy Trinity, uh, maybe we can think about why it's important for us that God has revealed himself to us. How is it that we can enter into that by humbly understanding, receiving, and, and asking him to further reveal himself to us? And then simply to live in that peace and the joy of the kingdom that the Lord offers us through his great sacrifice and his sacrificial love. Uh, This feast truly is a great feast, even if it is different than the many ones that we have throughout the year. Because if we get this right, we can get everything right. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. May God bless you and be with you as you live out your faith and serve the Lord this week.